One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories, the show that explores our guests' life stories through the lens of three songs that have fused with their memories. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest this week is John McKenney. John was born in Hamilton, Ohio, but his family moved to Fort Myers when he was eight years old. John met his lifelong friend Jerry Toronto in sixth grade, and they played in bands all the way through their time at Cypress Lake High School, which had just opened. The first was a three-piece called The Continentals, but it morphed into many configurations, including the Tropics, the High Tones, the Ron King and High Tones, and then the last was called the Painted Faces, which was one of Fort Myers' most well-known bands at the time. They played the old Exhibition Hall in downtown Fort Myers, as well as gigs in Sarasota, Bradenton, Clearwater, and Lakeland. As a local house band, the Painted Faces opened for a number of big names, including Roy Orbison and Neil Diamond. The Painted Faces recorded a few songs through a subsidiary of Capitol Records and got quite a bit of airplay on local radio. They were even written up by Billboard magazine and were listed as one of the top Florida garage bands of the 1960s. Between their junior and senior year, they spent the summer playing in Greenwich Village and around New York City. In the end, the rest of the band stayed and he and Jerry came home to finish high school. John got married to his high school sweetheart after graduating high school and music became less of a priority. He says he had a spiritual awakening and conversion at the age of 20, and worship music has been a regular part of his musical expression ever since. He's also currently playing in a blues band and rehearsing with a local 80s band in Portland, Oregon, which is where he and his wife have lived since 1979. They have four kids and 12 grandchildren. John comes our way via past guest Sheldon Zolden. Hello, John. How are you? I'm good. Glad to be back in Fort Myers. Welcome to Fort Myers. You came from Portland? From the Portland, Oregon area. Yeah. What's the weather like up there right now? Um, probably in the 40s, cloudy, maybe drizzly. Yeah. That's typical northwest weather that we have so um, much up there. You mentioned you listened to the John McEwen interview I did. Just so you know, I used his script as the template for this one. So wherever it said John McEwen, I just had to change it to John McKinney. <laughs> I thought about that, the fact, the similarity in the, the names. Um, have you listened to any music so far today? Today, um, actually, I have uh, my friend Sheldon and his wife and I were listening, and my wife were listening to some Fernando Ortega music this morning. Hmm. On your way here, or like uh, just before we left the house, oh. we were sh- comparing our favorite tunes by him. So cool. Um, so you were born in Ohio, but moved here when you were eight. What Great. brought your family here? Well, you know, I didn't know at the time. Uh, that my mother was uh, pregnant and never occurred to me that there wasn't a dad because I didn't know where babies came from anyway, I guess. <laughs> and uh, so uh, apparently um, my mother moved down here to remove herself from the stigma of, of that situation. And uh, later on that year, she came back from the hospital and said the baby died. I found out when I was about 45, he hasn't. So somewhere out here in the Fort Myers, South Florida area, I may have a half-brother I've never met. Wow. So, um, so I moved here from Kansas City with my family when I was eight. I went to uh, the Villas for one year, and then Orangewood, and then Fort Myers Middle, and then Fort Myers High. Where'd you go? I had the first two. Uh, started off at Orangewood, and then 
then they built Villas Elementary. Okay. And then um, Cypress Lake, uh, the first year that it opened was only seventh, eighth, and ninth grade. And each year they added another year, and I, w- I was the first in the f- that first class that started in seventh grade and went all the way to. T- so you were in the year. first graduating high school senior class of Cypress Lake right. High School that had gone through all. F- wow. All of them, yeah. Um, did Orangewood have the, the people putting their names in the cement all the way back to when you were there, or did that come later? I don't remember that. So okay. When I got have. there, there was at least 15 years. They would make a whole big stretch of cement, and they would color it a different color, mm. and all the class, the fifth graders would get to sign it. Mm. <laughs> I don't remember that. So, um, so um, how would you describe, and we'll start here, um, how would, or if you have to go back, but how would you describe the musical background of your childhood? Like what was you know, around you musically when you were young? Well, I had, I had two older brothers, and I think – I think I must have heard them playing their 45s or something as a kid because uh, I, I remember being um, hearing and thinking about Elvis Presley. But I was particularly drawn to people like the Everly Brothers and uh, there was another group. Um, I think they were called the Fleetwoods, but I, I liked that close harmony mm-hmm. ballad kind of, of music uh, but was enamored with Elvis and those kinds of things. So. Was um, were musical instruments being played around you? Um, my brother uh, played a harmonica, and I think he dabbled with guitar. I have a picture when I'm about six years old, standing on a porch in Ohio with my mother's lap steel Hawaiian guitar in my hands. Hmm. Uh, that's my first memory. But so there was a little bit of music uh, occurring around. And then you were a saxophone player. Was that your first instrument? Yeah, I remember. You know, in I think in band or in sixth grade, you start. They start you off on a tonette, and my first instrument that I started playing, and I went through alto, tenor, and I even tried a baritone sax. But there are a lot to carry home from home from school back and forth. So I think I eventually landed mostly on uh, tenor sax. Why did you choose that, or at that age did it choose you? You know, did the teacher say, we need a sax player, John, you're one? I don't remember. Maybe it was, uh, what was that song? Was it, I can't remember who it was, by Yakety Sax. That was, yeah, I remember yeah, that don't one. talk back. Yeah, don't, <laughs> I don't know if that was influential. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't talk back. That's it, that's it. <laughs> Um, you know, later in, we'll get to bands and stuff uh, after your first song, but you, were, you weren't a sax player. You know, did you, at what point did you pick up a guitar or then a bass guitar? Well, um, I've, I've mentioned, I think in that little short bio I sent to you, that my friend Jerry Toronto, he moved into the villas. And uh, I was in sixth grade at the time. Uh, and he was a musician, played guitar, and uh I said, well, I play saxophone, and I, we tried that for a real short period of time. Obviously, it wasn't going to work, so he started teaching me how to play a little guitar, and then I kind of just picked it up on my own and, um, and played guitar for two or three years until I think it was ninth grade, and my, the, the little band that was starting to come into fruition, uh, the, the bass player wanted to play football. That meant he couldn't come to practice every afternoon like we always wanted to do. So I said, okay, let me try bass. And so for the next 
four or five years, I would switch back and forth between. Was learning bass easy enough having already played the guitar? Uh, yeah, I think it was because I could just watch the guitar player's hands, and when he went to a certain position, I knew what chord that was, so I knew where to search for that note, that uh, root note. So, yeah. Um, I got to ask, and this is so hyper-local, where in the Villas did you grow up? Because I spent a lot of time in the Villas. <laughs> 2313 Sunrise Boulevard. It was oh. directly across from what was then the uh, the recreational yeah, center. Yeah, the little civic center yeah. thing there. So about halfway down. You used to have a, a big pond there, and my ba- my brothers poached alligators out of it. And uh, I spent a lot of time in that neck of the woods. Went through Hurricane Donna in 1960 wow. on September the 10th in, in that location. One of my best friends, uh, Biff, grew up on Sunrise, second house to the end on the left before you got to whatever that street at the end was. Yeah, right before Crystal Drive. And that used, we used to go back in that area and camp and it was the, all the, the Timau, canal back there Timau canal, yeah. and it was nothing but swamp and I smoked my first cigarette next to 10 mile canal mm. <laughs> oh too much information mm. um so uh do you still play instruments today I do I'm uh, I be- became a uh, Christ follower in the 70s and uh, went off to Bible college and um and then we moved to the Northwest for me to go to graduate school. And in all of those occasions, I played um, mainly church music and then slowly started to be, I don't know, comfortable enough to start playing other back into the secular yeah, yeah, realm yeah. of music. And I play in a, a blues band right now and an 80s band and as well as playing worship music. So. Okay. Well, we'll catch back up to that in a little bit, but let's do your first song now. All right. Um let me introduce it first, and then you can listen to it. I, as I said, I was in that uh, early era of my life and that desire for uh, those ballad types of songs. I, I just enjoyed vocal harmony in particular. Uh, my sons ended up in a very successful a cappella group out in the Northwest. But um, there was one song that I really liked very well was uh, Richie Valens' O'Donna. And uh, I don't know. You know, young puberty, all those things. But ironically enough, in ninth grade, uh, I was walking down the high, the hallway of Cypress Lake School and with a friend, and it was about two weeks into the opening of school year, and down walks this new girl in school. And I turned to my friend and Kim and said, I think I'm going to marry that girl. And her name was Donna, and... I'm still with her 54 years later. I just met her in the lobby. 58 years later, actually, since 1964 till today. Wow. Well, let's listen to this song. All right. Which, by the way, it's not called O'Donna. His version was just called Donna. Okay, yeah, it's just a refrain. Yeah. And it's 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 a three-chord song. It's even more accurate. All right, this is John McKenney's first song here on Three Song Stories. This is Donna by Richie Valens, released as a single in 1958 as the A-side to La Bamba on the B-side. So you were already familiar with this song when you met her? Yes, Yes. When you realized what her name was, did you immediately think of this song? Oh, I'm sure, because, you know, that often was when people would refer to us, and they, that usually would be mentioned, the O'Donnell song, so. But it's, um, and I didn't reckon, I didn't know then, that was just three simple chords, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> one, four, five chords, like so many of rock and roll songs are, but 
Uh, it seemed like a masterpiece to me then when, as a kid. <laughs> How long between seeing her for the first time and asking her, asking her out? wasn't too long. I think within a couple months we were we were going steady and uh and it's been it's unlike Richie's experience which I I went back and read a little bit about the history of the song and there really was a girl and uh and who he had he had broken up with and unlike his situation Don and I are still together and I'm thankful it's been the it's been the best thing that's happened to me in my life. So, hmm. um, As I read it in your bio, you played the sax until 11th grade. So does that mean you were in, like, did they have a band? I mean, it was a new school. Was I, there a yeah, high school band? There was, was there the, a marching band? There was a high school marching band. Um, my friend Sheldon, his wife, Denise, who we're staying with when we come to Fort Myers, uh, she was in that in that band. She was a year younger, I think. But, uh, yeah, uh, a lot of memories. I hated marching in the Edison parade, uh, Light Parade. <laughs> <laughs> I never could. Re- we're supposed to memorize the music, and I remember going down US Forty One, just plane, faking it, faking it. When <laughs> and a uh, TV news camera guy sticking his microphone in my saxophone bell, and I blared out something. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, <clears throat> that parade I think is coming up either yeah. this weekend or next weekend. I think it's I think it's tomorrow night. Oh, is it tomorrow yeah. night? I should know that. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, did you do any anything like theater or anything like that in high school? Did they even have theater back then? Probably, but no, I did not. No. Did. So, um, did you ever dance with Donna to Donna? I was going to ask you about high school dances, and I was well, wondering if maybe you guys ever, like, had yeah. a dance and danced to that she, song. She refers to that era as she was the groupie because we were all we, – I played for our high school prom, and so she was – Your band did. Yeah, our band did, yeah. And I think we probably did – I have a picture of of our little three-piece band, myself, Jerry Toronto, and Bobby Heckscher, whose dad owned WMYR, huh. um, at Cypress Lake's first – dance in seventh grade uh, that year but um so she didn't often get we you know we didn't have those kinds of experiences because i was always in the band you were the rock star well what was the first band you had i think that was called the that band we called ourselves the continentals uh and you were how old Seventh grade. Seventh grade. Yeah, I was going to say, I think grade, he yeah. said seventh grade. Yeah. I wanted to clarify. Thirteen, I guess. Met Donna the next year when I was 14. Well, I'm not told ninth grade. So uh, it went on to be then, I think we called ourselves the Tropics. And there ended up being a really hot band out of St. Pete called the Tropics. So we, we ditched that name. Uh, then we changed our name to the High Tones. And then there was um, a local front man who really changed our band dynamic because he was a very good vocalist named Ron King who's disappeared off the planet of the earth. Mm. Can't find him anymore. Then that band, you want me to go on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That band um, somehow, and and I've lost track of of how it came about, but there was uh, a band in, I think in Naples, and they were called the Gestures, 
Wally Fredrickson and his dad had a recording studio in Naples, which we ended up later on recording in, two-track in a garage. Hmm. We were a classic garage band. Um, they, they split, and part of that band came... Um, and I, anyway, somehow bands kind of just—it was like wife swapping. A few of us, <laughs> a few of us went with one band, and a few of us went with the other, and and we be, at that point became let's call ourselves the Fifth Dimension. Ah, oh, that's a great name. And about a few months later, out came nationally the Fifth Dimension, and so uh, <laughs> that's when we changed our name to the Painted Faces, which became probably the most well known, and we did the recordings and things. What kind of music were you playing early on, and how did it evolve over time until you then became the Painted Faces? Well, we we started off as basically as an instrumental band. We um, didn't have any strong vocalists, and uh, the Ventures, Ghost Riders in the Sky, those kinds of, th- of things. Um, and then, as um, I think about the time that Ron King became our really strong vocalist in that particular ensemble that was just around the Beatles time you know so uh, and my friend Jerry was strong he and I you know sit down let's listen to the new Beatles album cover to cover that kind of thing and so uh, until till the Pain of Faces came about then it was the Beatles versus Stone because our lead singer Jack O'Neill was a was a Mick Jagger fan. Uh, okay. So it became, which do we do? How much do we do of the Beatles covers or the Stones covers? And um, so it was that kind of dynamic in music. Um, I have pulled off of YouTube two songs by the Painted Faces. One is called I Want You, and one is called I Lost You in My Mind. Mm-hmm. Which should we play a little of? Well, or is there one you'd like us to look up? Jerry could always look anx- up. Anxious Colors, I think, was the one where we actually got on the charts in Billboard magazine. Anxious Colors. Anxious Colors. Painted Faces, Jared. Do it. This is the one I had to ask my friend if I played, what did I play on this? Because we were in that transition period where when the Painted Faces started with Fifth Dimension, they brought a bass player. I said, okay, I'll go back to guitar. But then that kind of went off College. When was the last time you listened to this? It's been a while. <laughs> Definitely has that, Fort that, Myers that era. Psychedelic. And so you recorded this in a garage in Naples? Yeah. And it, it, made, it made it to some charts? Yeah, we were picked up by uh, some Manhattan Records, which a subsidiary of uh, Capitol Records, I think. There's more than one person singing. Did you do a little singing in this? No, that's my friend Jerry. Okay. One of my shout-outs. So. <laughs> um, according to Wikipedia, the band name was inspired by William Golding's Lord of the Flies? I think that's where Jack uh, fashioned himself a real thinker, and uh, he was um, he was – in a whole different world than the rest of the band, I think. Yeah. But, uh, he's still up in the Jersey area playing and doing music. You guys, as I read it, um, made it out of Florida for a while. What? What Was that still in high school? Yeah, I'm trying to, to remember the exact chronological year. It, between our junior and senior year, we loaded up our 1968 
Volkswagen bus and made it to Greenwich Village and played the whole summer in the village. Uh, Cafe Wa, Eighth Wonder, uh, a couple other places that had famous people involved in it. And it came towards the end of the summer and the band wanted to stay. And uh, Jerry and I, mainly from our parents, insisted that we come back and finish up high school. So <laughs> that's when the band split and they stayed together. Came back into Fort Myers for a little while, had some success, ended up touring the Virgin Islands. And uh, there's still a member of the group here in town named George Shuley, who was in that remaining group. Um, but so most of the people in that group are still involved in music. Were you disgruntled by being made to come back and finish high school? Did you feel like you guys had the legs to maybe make it happen, or were you kind of like, okay, I should probably finish high school? Well, to be truthful, I don't even remember too much of the emotions. I think I missed my girlfriend, my Donna, and uh, was probably ready to go home. We, I remember we came walking out of the out of the Greenwich Village, which is a basement cafe, and there were three guys walking down the street carrying most of our instruments. We chased them down the street. So we had oh, that. they weren't your roadies. They and were stealing. The, yeah, they were stealing. <laughs> uh, one time I got separated from the band, and we were staying in this sleazy hotel somewhere, so I had to take a cab, but I didn't have enough money to, to tip the guy, and the cab driver cussed me out. So I, I, was, I probably was emotionally ready to come back to Fort Myers and, and uh get out of the big city. So, Did you try to spin anything else up here without them, or did you? was that well, kind of the end of your rock and roll lifestyle? Uh, when Jerry and I got back in town, we became a member of probably uh, the other big group in town, which was the Bees, Wally Naylor and the Bees. Uh, they used to be uh, one of the best or the biggest and best groups that played at the Fort Myers Teen Club there at Fort Myers High School. And then later on, uh, their dad, who was a gladiola farmer at his gladiola uh, packing plant on Fowler, opened up the beehive. Huh. And Where was that? Uh, on Fowler, somewhere bef- between the airport and Winkler. Okay. So I, I've tried to locate it driving down. and, and it, It's hard, yeah. yeah nothing so, looks the there's same. There's trees on Fowler now. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but we we became a part of that group for a little while. Uh, I remember the gold sequin jacket my mom had to sew because <laughs> to match the rest of the guy's band. It, but anyway, uh, that, that was a fun experience. And then I think I, then I got married right immediately after high school in 68. And on my honeymoon in Fort Lauderdale, I got a call from um, one of those guys. Actually, it was another band member who's in my shout-out list, who said, hey, we're playing at the Outrigger Lounge, and we need somebody to play bass. Can you come? I said, well, I'm on my honeymoon. He says, well, we start next Monday night. So I came back, and uh, we were only going to stay a few days anyway. But So I played in some bar bands and things like that for the next year or two, Hmm. dabbled around, but nothing of any lasting. Let's do your second song. All right, my second song. Well, it was about, <coughs> do you want me to introduce it first? Up to you. Yeah, let's do it that way. It was about that time that um, in 1970, my um, my older living brother 
who was an alcoholic became what we called in the 70s a, a Jesus freak. And um, for about a year, I listened and argued with him. And um, eventually, my wife and I became also a follower of Christ. And, and it radically impacted our lives. And we started, um, I, I had to separate myself from that lifestyle, that music, that world, drug, sex, and rock and roll, and all of those things. And um, But the problem was there wasn't any music that I could really identify with within the church. Um, I was thinking this morning of, of uh, Steve Martin's song, Atheists Don't Got No Songs. <laughs> but... Uh, so there, there was country gospel, which kind of had a beat, but there was really nothing to listen to. And all of a sudden, I someone gave me this song, uh, probably in a vinyl album, maybe a, a CD. I don't remember. And but there, there was a movement out of the West Coast, out of Calvary Chapel, and this group, Maranatha Music, called, and the group was name was Love Song, and this song little country church actually sounded like rock music i went back and listened to it after i chose it and I, well, it seemed a lot hotter then but <laughs> compared to what was out there right. in the day uh it wasn't a predictable christian contemporary song it was it was actually close to rock and roll and um just as a side note years later my sons who were in an a cappella group and used to tour around were in a church, and they, and in that particular concert evening, one of the members of Love Song was doing a few of his songs. Mm. So it, it was a full circle there. But it was called Little Country Church, and it actually sounded like rock and roll music. And I, uh, it was life giving for me at that period of my life. Let's listen to it. All right. Um, Little Country Church by the band Love Song. What a great name for yeah. a band, Love Song. I was a little confused at first. Um, from their self-titled album released in 1972, this is John McKenney's second song on today's episode of Three Song Stories. It's biography through music. Did that open up a whole new wor- world of music? Was that like, did you? Was that your way into finding music that aligned with what you wanted to hear with what you wanted to hear? <laughs> yeah, it, it became. You know, there was a whole flood of Christian artists that came out at that time, Phil Kagey being one of them, who was in the group Glass Harp, and then later on uh, went on to, is still a very influential, uh, amazing guitarist in Christian music. Um, so it uh, it became, all of a sudden, I felt like I had music for my soul again that that wasn't there before and so I, I really enjoyed it i was i was just thinking if you we could diverse a little bit we missed a whole era of of florida south florida history of music bring it by not talking about the southwest florida uh, star spectaculars okay at the now defunct no longer existing exhibition hall uh that's really the one that was downtown. Downtown, right, yeah, on, yeah, right yeah. on the water. Um, that's <clears throat> that's how our band, be- between that and the fact that we used to play at the foot of Fort Myers Beach Pier at the tip top every Sunday afternoon, between that and the uh, Southwest Florida Star Spectaculars, which there was a promoter out of St. Petersburg named A.J. Perry. He was a little crazy. 
he would charge I think a buck fifty for the to come to the exhibition hall on Friday nights, and there would usually be two or three bands, and he would bring in a star, and so we were one of those rotating house bands. Um, Matter of fact, he was the one that made us, excuse me for bumping the mic, change our names to the high tones, I believe. He was part of that process. But they would bring in, we opened for people like Roy Orbison, uh, uh, Lou Christie. One time we we did this the tour between Lakeland, Clearwater, Sarasota, and Florida, and backing up Beach, was it Beach Atom? I think B.J. Thomas and Billy Joel Royal, who did Down in the Boondocks. So we had huh. we had an exposure to a lot of different. Uh, at that time, one time in Sarasota, this guy I never heard of him before, Neil Diamond, came walking up in the stage, and it was he had to hit out uh, Solitary Man. So you sort of shared a stage with him. Yeah, we we opened for him. We didn't know wow. who he was. Uh, Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels were were in that venue. I remember another time. So um, that was a. Uh, a big area, a big influence in Southwest Florida was what happened at the Exhibition Hall. The I Al- remember the Exhibition Hall. That's where the dances were. <laughs> yeah, the Allman Brothers <laughs> and uh, lots of different fun groups. Did you ever play uh, anything at the Hall of 50 States? Right there, a couple blocks down. Yeah. I don't think it was in existence. At least It definitely was in existence. It may have just not been used for that sort for of that thing. Because kind of it, it was way, yeah. it's still there. They're trying to raise money to save it, but it, it, it dates way back. Mm. Um, hmm. Um, did you ever see uh, Little Country Church live? I, I never saw. Were they around very no, long? No, the, the, they. I was here, and they were on the West Coast, and uh, they. You know, and I, I have found now living on the West Coast, people make reference to groups, and I say that must have been a West Coast band because I had. There's a band out of the Frisco that was the one of the guitar players went on to play for Chicago, and I. And my, a friend of mine keeps talking about him. I said, I never heard of him before. <laughs> you know, hmm. So there was some, that localized guy. What took you to the West Coast? Um, to go to graduate school. Went, Where'd I, you go to college uh, before grad school? I, I went down to Miami Christian. It was an evolving name and actually not even in existence. I was Miami Christian Bible College, University, um, and it was uh, – Kind of absorbed by Trinity College out of Chicago, but I was in. I attended a Western Conservative Baptist Seminary in Portland, Oregon. Hmm. Almost got my MDiv, but didn't finish. Um, what was it like moving from Fort Myers, Florida, to Portland, Oregon at that time? Different kind of worlds. Yeah. Still today, they're different kind of worlds. Yeah. But what was it like? Well, I, I I didn't really miss the humidity, but in cold winters, I sure miss white sand beaches and and uh, warm sunshine. So it it was a change. Um, you know, I grew up in the '60s in the villas, and we didn't even have an air conditioned car or a house. So I I didn't I didn't mind the heat as much. But uh, my wife fell in love with the Northwest and. And, you know, when your kids start going to school and plant roots down, it just kind of came, well, we'll just stay here because it's a good life here. So, Seen any good bands or anything like that over the years in Portland? I mean, you've been there for 40 years. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, or my, more than 40. How many years have you been there? We moved in 79. So. 79. So, yeah, yeah 45 years. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the last big thing I went to was at uh, 
the Tacoma Dome and saw Elton John in his final tour. My oh. daughter had purchased some tickets tickets for someone else that didn't happen and so she says hey I got two extra tickets to Elton John so um, I flew I had my friend who lives here fly up I've lost track I think it might have been 2016 to see Paul McCartney uh, in the Moda Center so uh, you know it's a um, another friend of mine is the drummer for Vince, Vince Gill and in my band in town app it popped up Vince Gill and is was there last night, and so I texted Billy and I said, "Hey, are you going to going to be in Portland?" And I'm I'm in Florida. He says, "Well, no, that's Vance. He's with the Eagles tonight." So, <laughs> so uh, there's a lot of you know, it's one of the spots that they often stop at. Ever seen any concerts with Sheldon and his wife? N- with them? Uh, well, whenever we're in town, we're going tonight to listen to another one of my shout out friends. Uh, uh, I think he's down at Sneaky Pete's, so we're going to go hear him. Hmm. What kind of music is that? Yeah, covers cover music from the '60s. David Franya and his wife Cindy, and I don't even I don't even know. He's in he he does solo. He's in a trio with his wife and another gal. He's doing two or three bands. One of them called Jacob's Ladder, and the other is called wild horse running horse something like that hmm so you said you mentioned uh or you mentioned that you played a blues band and a bit of an 80s cover band or something right what's, now what's the deal with the let's start with the blues band how long you've been with it what kind of gigs do you play uh or do you play gigs yeah <laughs> yeah i just did my last my first one since i uh injured my finger on in november I, we, we had a just a local bar in um Tigard, Oregon, outside of Portland, and we did a gig last Friday night. So they're just, you know, we, we we're a little a bit eclectic, and you know, we do some Jimmy Buffett and things like that. A blues but, band that does Jimmy Buffett, yeah. yeah. Okay. So we're we're a bit of a cover band specializing in blues. I'll leave it at that. But and then the eighties band is is distinct from that. Yeah, that's. Um, I, I just started getting involved with them. They were looking for a bass player. I'm not even sure if the groups they're trying to reestablish. And, uh, it's in my, its formative stages. Right. And then <laughs> we, I practiced last Saturday afternoon with them and then got on the plane and did a red-eye uh, red specialist to hear. So uh, I had injured my finger, so we had to take two months off, and we're just trying to get, still trying to get the band back in going in. I don't know if it's well ever developed uh, to where it, there's a lot of potential there, and uh, it, it's a lot more interesting music than a lot of the three chord blues stuff that I'm doing in the other band. That they're doing some Journey and stuff like that. Hmm. So, uh, you mentioned you have kids. Did your kids ever bring home music that you were like, "What are you listening to?" No, um, they they seem to be. I I think my love for music and my choices of music seem to have influenced them more. My, actually, my daughter played in one of the blues bands with me. Well, actually, there was another one too. But she got tired of that situation. And then four or five months ago, I saw a Craigslist ad and I said, hey, there's a little rock cover band looking for uh, a lead female singer. And she's now in that group. So hmm, Where she live? Uh, in the Portland area. Uh, do they all live out there? They do. Well, I have one, my youngest son, and his 
wife and kids live in the Sacramento area, and I, uh, my oldest son and daughter then also lived in the Portland area, and then we lost our middle son two years ago to cancer. Hmm. And he was the one that was in uh, the acapella singing group, and this was something that in social media, this T-shirt I have on that says contend is something that has become kind of one of his legacies that people who had followed him, he had thousands of people following him on social media and things. As he was dealing with what he was dealing with? Right, and because he was in that popular group, he also was a worship leader in a 2,000-member church, and so he had a, he had a large community of, of uh, people that he was connected with. Do you still play worship music? I do, yeah. And through what vent? Through a church? Or? Through church. I, yeah, right now I'm involved in about three or four different churches, so I kind of rotate through them. Do you have to be the sound guy too? A lot of times band guys <laughs> got to be the sound guys in those scenarios. No, most of them are are uh, pretty sophisticated. You know, everybody's using in, no amps on stage, all in-ear monitors. and Wow. Uh, so Makes which, you feel like a rock and roll star. <laughs> It, it has its trade-offs, but um, <laughs> I personally have acquired recently some sound equipment because this one blues band did not have very much, and so I've gotten into that with a 20-channel main board and a 14, 12-channel monitor mixer and big subs and everything, so it's... I've, if my hearing wasn't failing, I'd probably be a really good sound man. Was that a return to something you had done or finally dipping into that side of the world of music? Well, I, I've always been interested in that. I uh, always have appreciated. There's a local band in the Portland area that have been around for 45 years called Johnny Limbo and the Lugnuts. And they're a covers, 50s, 60s, well, 70s band, show band kind of thing. And every time I would go to hear them, the amazing sound guy would EQ that bass drum and that kick the kick drum and the bass guitar so well and I thought that's the way music's supposed to sound you know so this past summer I've spent a few shows with him trying to pick his brain ah. but, but um, the problem is I haven't made it into the digital world well enough so I'm still old school analog and there's so much that's done digitally that it's hard to... Yeah, it's kind of hard to spin up yeah. in the world of analog today, yeah. and then there'll be a lot of learning. Yeah. A lot of learning. Yeah. Um, okay, let's do your third song. All right. My third song was um, during during the 70s, I, I would listen to a lot of... Uh, James Taylor, Carol King, Crosby, Stills, and Nash and Young. You know, I, I seem to be drawn towards that again. That close harmony ballad. Uh, I love Travis style finger picking songs. Uh, that style, and um, and one of the particular songs that I was really drawn to, just aesthetically, just the sound of it was Dan Fogelberg's leader of the band. Just that opening, those the, the guitar music on that. And I don't think it was the first time. I think it was the right time when I was, I remember driving, uh, probably coming home from work late at night. It was almost, it was dusk. And um, both the, word, the, the theme of the song has uh, struck uh, chords in my own heart because 
I, I never really had a dad. My real father was killed when I was uh, three years old, and I had a succession of abusive alcoholic fathers in my life. Uh, but I, so that all the words, uh, he, was, he was a quiet gentleman, and he was the leader of the band. So all the musical themes and the father themes uh, tugged both ways, both of my absence of a father and having four children that I wanted to leave that kind of legacy with. So it, uh, I think I wept that one on that drive home that night. Hmm. Let's listen to it. Right. Um, this is Leader of the Band by Dan Fogelberg from his 1981 album, The Innocent Age. It's John McKenney's final song here on Three Song Stories. Legacy to the leader What's that make you feel listening to that with us? Um, still tugs at my heart. Still yeah. tugs at my heartstrings. Hmm. It was the last time you listened to it. Um, I don't think it's been too long. I I often will just hit random artists on my playlist on my iPhone, and uh, when I'm about doing different things, and that often pops up. Do you play your acoustic guitar just by yourself and learn songs as just a person in a guitar and stuff like that? Do you ever play around like that? I, I do. Um, I have been playing. Um, there's a, a auxiliary ministry at our particular church I attend called Celebrate Recovery. It's for people with hurts, habits, and hang-ups, which includes most of us. And... Um, I claim dysfunction as my drug of choice, but <laughs> the dysfunction of uh, um, codependency probably is my biggest uh, dysfunction. But anyway, I, from its outset for the last 17 years, I've led worship at that on Friday nights. Um, as of late, for the last couple of years, I, I'm in charge of making sure they try to have music that night and try to do it once or twice a month. And in that process... I probably learned more about music because I had to start creating charts or finding charts and saying, okay, and I use I played acoustic guitar on that because it's easier to lead and sing doing that than it is from the bass, in spite of what Paul McCartney and Sting do. But uh, And you sing? Um, I can lead people into okay. singing. Okay, I was yeah. going to say, because you've kind of danced around singing yeah. this whole time. <laughs> I, I love to sing, but I... I, I I got about a three-note range, and it's, it seems to be less lessening as the voice ages. So, hmm. but uh, do uh, do you and your wife Donna's musical tastes align? Um, yeah, she um, she actually played piano when she was a young girl, but she's not been very musical. She always jokes that, that she plays the spoons, but she she enjoys music. Again, it's it's still continuing. She would say that people at church thought she was a widow or divorced because they never saw me sitting with her because I was always up and those kinds of things. But what about the bands she listens to? Does she listen to anything that you are not super into or vice versa? No, I think we're very aligned in our – well, I should take that. I I also like – Smooth jazz, you know, Spyrogyra. (laughs) You did the air quotes. Right, because (laughs) that's such a – you know, that, that's that the, that phrase has a lot of baggage anymore. Right, right. But <laughs> Spyrogyra, those kinds of uh, of uh, of of music, I like. She anything that even smells like jazz, she d- dislikes. So. 
Uh, Even smells like jazz. Yeah. I love that. Uh, is there any like music that's modern that you guys listen to? Do or you just listen to the music that you listen to? Um, I, you know, I, I I still like. I, I don't understand a lot of the music of today. Uh, <laughs> I, I I have seen some some people rap that was powerful. But I wouldn't sit down and buy. I wouldn't buy a rap album, you know, and that kind of things. Uh, a lot of the electronic music of today is is fascinating, and interesting. But it's, but it's, to me, it's so much of it is more electronic than it is actually musicianship, you know. But but it creates an, an amazing, pleasant sound. So, do you still have records or CDs, or are you fully streaming by now? Um, I have a pile of albums up in my closet that uh, but I don't have a vinyl. I don't have anything to play them on. Uh, got rid of all the A tracks. <laughs> no more cassettes left. I do have some CDs, but uh, I, I mainly stream. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Eight tracks. Eight tracks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. You ready for a speed round? Um, okay. We may have to push the pause button a number of times. We'll but. throw this at you. Uh, do you have a nickname that stuck over the course of your life that you'd be willing to share? I don't. There were a few uncomfortable names my brothers used to call me, but <laughs> and we were all Skinny McKinney's in our early age. But uh, other than that, it's kind of Mac or something like like that. Uh, karaoke? Do you do karaoke? I have, I have never done it. My daughter's really big into it because she's such a good singer. But I assume you probably didn't, since you said you have a three-note range yeah, and you. <laughs> I have never done karaoke. Um, if you were a championship wrestler, John McKenney, what music would you enter the arena to? I heard you ask someone else that. I just, so you've uh, had time to think big, about Big it. Bad John, you know? I mean, what else? <laughs> uh, wrestler name, Skinny McKenney. Yeah, that, that would that would <laughs> Big work. Ben John. He's not so skinny Come in. You're still pretty skinny. Um, uh, if you had to guess, what would you say is the song you've listened to the most times over the course of your life? If you had some magic ability to add it mm. up. I don't know. Um, my wife and I's song, and we even had it, I even performed it with some friends on our 25th wedding renewal valve anniversary event that we had was And I, and I Love Her by the Beatles. And uh, so we still, that's one that we often go to. But um, And you said you've been married for 58 years? Well, we've been together for 58 okay. years because we started going together when we were 14 <laughs> at that mature age. And, at the, and then we married in, when we were 18 at 68. So in this coming October, we'll be 54 years of marriage. Wow. So, Congratulations. Thank you. Um, what activities or pursuits make you lose track of time the most? Uh, probably... Song charting and preparation. When I in doing that, I can't really get lost in that. Or, or getting on YouTube and starting listening, going down those rabbit holes of, of this music, and then looks, listening to that and this and that. And all before you realize that the day's gone almost. You know, song you wish you could hear again for the very first time. Um, Eleanor Rigney. Rigby by the Beatles off the, the uh, is that the Rubber Soul album, I think? Got a nod from Jared on that one. Okay. Um, 
Uh, overplayed song. What's the most overplayed song of all time from your perspective? Mm, Stairway to Heaven, maybe. Pretty good answer. Yeah. Pretty easy answer. Um, if you could broadcast a song into the head of all humans in a collective moment, which song would you give them? Hmm. There were lots of them. I, I was thinking this this morning as I was thinking in preparation of this. There was a song by in this I think in the late '60s by Mac Davis called "I Believe in Music," and I remember. Shortly after my conversion experience, I changed that into "I Believe in Jesus." But, but even the the song as it is is I think so so powerful because music I believe is a universal language that uh, that God. I made the reference earlier. Atheists ain't got no songs or don't got no songs. Steve Martin wrote because I think God created music. It's mathematical. It's and it. It's something that we were wired to experience, and sometimes music communicates to us in a way that gets past all the things, all the barriers that we put up emotionally and spiritually and everything. So that I think that would be a good song for people to listen to. As Stevie Wonder said, music is a language we can all understand, and uh, the Beatles' Eleanor Rigby is from Yellow Submarine, the album. Really? So says Google. Okay, well, I'm going to check my album. So I and, don't see. and so, you know, we're so double, lucky that music. Double A side, okay. it says. Okay. We're just glad that music does what it does because we wouldn't have this show yeah. if it didn't. Um, you mentioned albums. When was the last time you listened to an album from track one to track 11 or whatever? Uh, I recently saw in Portland an artist that I was aware of named Keb Moe. He's, I've heard of Keb yeah, Moe. And, uh, I liked him so much. I, I, w- I was aware of him, got to see him live, and so I bought his most current album called uh, Back on the Streets or something like that. And I, that was probably six months ago, and I bet I've listened to that front to cover in drive time probably 15 times. So r- most recently that would be the one. When you're in the car, do you still sometimes listen to FM radio music? Um, if I do, it's it's usually because uh, I'm in a rental car. <laughs> yeah, usually it's a Christian station. There's a syndicated. Well, um, there's a fellow from Fort Myers named Bob Obsberg who started at the station out there on McGregor. Uh, it was a church. Anyway, he started Way FM, and it's a syndicated and has four or five places all over the states. But the larger one is called K-Love, and that's the one I probably predominantly listen to, which keeps me abreast of the current popular Christian songs that are out. Hmm. What would your 14-year-old self, who just met Donna, Hmm. think of who you are today and the fact that you're still with her? (laughs) You know, 58 years. (laughs) Those of us who came out of the 60s, we all said, don't trust anybody over 30, and you're, we're not going to make it. You know. So um, I would think my 14-year-old self would said, man, I wish I could have enjoyed the ride <laughs> between now, between then and now. Uh, but um, I think he'd be a bit surprised at the way things have turned out. 
What's it like to drive around Fort Myers now, having known it back when it was so much smaller? Um, you know, when I reminisce, um, as I think in 1964 also, I, I had a Honda 150, and you were allowed to drive when you were 14 years old. If it was, it was a little bit too powerful. Supposed to be a, um, anyway. I remember driving down the trail from Sam Galloway Ford there at Winkler to the villas, and there was nothing except for when the airplanes would fly over you when you're on a little motorcycle. So, um, so I, I try to. There's that, uh, you know that. Addiction is always that looking for to repeat that you that one time euphoria. And when I drive around Fort Myers, it's it's almost disheartening because I can't can't identify things and places and stuff. What about driving down McGregor? Does it still feel like driving down McGregor? It's it's yeah, widened a little bit. Yeah, the but, palm the know. palm trees. Uh, my one of my ex stepfathers sister lived in that little house that said God is love yeah. there on McGregor and so we often drive by to look for that one it's still there still there made yeah. it through Ian yeah uh, all right it's time for you to recommend you three people all right um, I've, I've referenced him I think all three of them throughout our time together but the first one would be uh, my childhood friend Jerry Toronto uh, who would be a wealth of information N- not only did Jerry play and he wrote a lot of the music for the bands um, but he also had a recording studio started off in his garage over off McGregor but they built a studio in, in Cape Coral so he would um, he was very knowledgeable about the music and uh, he's still around here and he's still living awesome yeah. would, would love that um, in Fort Myers uh, second one would be and I referenced him, Dave Franya. He was in one of the rival bands. I think they were called the Castaways, of which Bob Osberg, who was the lead guitar player for that band. Dave is a very talented uh, multi-instrumentalist. He plays guitar, bass, keyboards, sings, um, little drums too, I think. so. And he's still, I'll go be seeing him tonight. Uh, and then the third fella, I think I only played with uh, this guy once or twice. We were trying to, I was becoming a new member of the band. It was after ours, after I came back, I think, from New York City. Um, his name is Billy Thomas. He was in a band called Osiris. Um, he later moved to Nashville. He's a studio, Nashville studio drummer and is also Vince Skills drummer. And he would be an excellent guy to have. And, and he still has family here in Fort Myers and so travels here so awesome it would well, d- be do put this in their ears and connect will, us with them do that. and we will do what we can do you have any final thoughts for us um, um I believe in music I believe in Jesus and I think those two can can carry you a long way cheers to that thank right. you John okay We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Calligan is our online content producer and host. Our production assistant is Jared the Intern Gonzalez. Christophus is executive producer. And our theme song was made by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. 
For this week's Parting Tune, we're going back a year to episode number 211, guest Amy Ginsberg. She's executive director of the Southwest Florida Symphony Orchestra that's based at the Barbara B. Mann Performing Arts Hall in Fort Myers. Amy's second song story took her back to a non-traditional mommy-daughter night with her teenage daughter, Juliana. Amy said she truly loves live music and is into a band called Surfer Blood, and they just so happen to be playing a gig at Nice Guys Pizza in Cape Coral. Her daughter, who also digs the band, was working that night, so she couldn't go. But Amy went on alone, and she was waiting for the show to begin, and she noticed a woman who was about her age versus the much younger crowd, and that woman waved her over. I was kind of confused about why this woman was here. She introduced herself, Jill Switzer, and this is my daughter, Lindsay. She's the bassist in Surfer Blood. And I'm like, what? So, yeah, I basically spent the evening with Jill. She's also a musician, um, a singer. She and her husband uh, perform, like, jazz standards and big band stuff in in Palm Beach. And... um, Jill was talking about what it was like being on the road with a band, and I don't want to out secrets, but anyway, she shared stuff that I was honored she shared with me. And the reason I went was there, you know, the, the tune I know uh, that, that popped out of my head was Swim. So they're getting ready to hit the stage, and I text Juliana, and I'm like, as soon as you're done at work, you need to get over here because we got to have like a mommy daughter night. Uh, what? I said, no, you don't understand. I met the bass player from Surfer Blood and her mama's here. And so we can hang out with her and her mama. And so, again, bringing back memories of like, oh, we can have mommy-daughter tea party. Now it's mommy-daughter surfer punk. (laughs) Keep listening. Next time on Three Song Stories. And I went back to my hostessing job. And I remember Will and a bunch of people coming to the um, window on Sunday when I was getting ready to open the restaurant. And I'm like doing the books. And they're in the window laughing and pointing and just making faces at me. And I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing here? And they were like, what are you doing here? What's wrong with you? You filled your last salt shaker, Karen Parsons. (laughs) 